Hi, and welcome to episode number 15 of the CryptoChick Podcast, your inside resource for the latest blockchain and crypto trends. I'm your host, the CryptoChick, Rachel Wolfson. Today, I'm interviewing Galia Ben-Artsy, co-founder of Bancor. In this episode, Galia explains the origins of Bancor, which was inspired by a community currency called Hearts. Galia also shares her thoughts on Facebook's Libra token, explaining why this is a positive gain for the blockchain and cryptocurrency industry. Without further ado, let's get right to my interview with Galia. Enjoy! Hi, Galia. It's great to be here with you today. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, I'm a big fan of yours. I've seen you speak multiple times in San Francisco, in New York, and now finally I'm in Tel Aviv at the Bancor office and I get to interview you. Yeah, welcome. We're so excited to have you here. Thank you. It's good to be here. So um, before we get into all the thought leadership things that you're going to share with our uh, listeners today, um, I'd like you to kind of describe your role at Bancor. Um, Tell us a little bit about what you do on a daily basis and um, the origin story behind the company. I'm a co-founder of Bancor. We created the Bancor Protocol, which is a standard for cryptocurrencies and digital assets to be inherently liquid. And we'll get into that in a bit. Um, What I focus on is our business development, which on any given day can entail a wide variety of things. For the most part, um, I look after the bridge between Bancor and the rest of the world. So what that might mean um, on some days is our uh, investor relations, our community relations, our messaging, our narratives, our marketing our strategy, which directions uh, we take the protocol in, which directions we take the product in, um, a lot of our uh, human resources, a lot of our partnerships, really anything uh, that that kind of connects between what we do here uh, in the office and how our products and services reach the rest of the world. Right. So it sounds like you've got a full plate of things to do, obviously. <laughs> a full plate. And, you know, it, it really changes over time. When, when we had a very small team, um, that included everything from uh, running our Twitter uh, and our Facebook and answering every comment and question and answering every user and being the main administrator on our Telegram group. Um, and as we've grown and the protocol has gained in adoption, that turns into managing a team of folks who do those things. Um, And uh, what's really fun for us uh, in general as entrepreneurs is um, that there's so much more to do at each stage and so much more to learn. Even as you get uh, more people on the team, what you also get is more things that you can do or or try to do or aspire to do. It's also kind of an insight that's dawned on me a lot uh, as it pertains to capital. Um, You have a lot of challenges when you have uh, a little bit of capital and you have a lot of challenges when you have more capital. Um, And so it's kind of the never ending journey, you know, of, of us all, but specifically of entrepreneurs is constantly teaching yourself the next thing you need to know to get to the next stage you need to be at. Right. And you have a lot of experience as an entrepreneur. This isn't your first, because you're a co-founder of Bancor. That's right. And this is not your first company. That's right. Actually, the co-founders of Bancor have been together for many, many years, almost going on 15 years soon. So it is certainly a lot of experience, but everything's relative. Um, This is our uh, fourth startup together. We've built a 
mobile gaming company that created the first uh, multiplayer games for smartphones uh, back in 2005. And we built a cross-platform development environment for developers who were trying to make mobile content for all of these different phones that were emerging in the smartphone space. Um, That was in 2010. We built, before Bancor, a company that was piloting community currencies, which is actually a lot of the genesis story uh, for us here at Bancor, trying to let folks issue their own currencies for their groups, for their neighborhoods, um, and run a local economy. And so we built all the apps and infrastructure that were needed for folks to get new, create new currencies, get those currencies, and then use and spend those currencies within the community. And now at Bancor, we really zeroed in on what we discovered to be kind of the the main barrier to that vision, which is liquidity. Right. Um, and, And these new currencies having kind of no shot really at being effective or successful because they're not plugged in uh, to this greater uh, financial system that we use, whether that's liquidity to dollars or liquidity to other community currencies or now other cryptocurrencies. Um, The thing about uh, money is that it's as valuable as it is liquid. It's as valuable as you can exchange it for something else that you want, whether that something else is a product or service or whether that something else is a different currency. So you might have dollars and they're super liquid to euros and that makes them valuable in Europe as well, which makes you as a dollar holder have many options of what you can do with your money. Um, And if you bring that kind of microcosm down to cryptocurrencies um, and new digital value products that are emerging, digital assets, whether they're collectibles or NFTs, and we can go into a lot of these areas, the value in these tokens is in how easily convertible they are to other tokens, whether those tokens are dollars, whether those tokens are access to the software product, like a file sharing product. And so that's really what we focus on at Bancor, making the the exercise of bringing liquidity to your new digital currency um, free and fair and transparent and accessible to all. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, that's really interesting. I mean, obviously, you're solving a very important problem in the cryptocurrency and blockchain space. So let's talk a little bit about the origins behind Bancor and, um, you know, why you founded the company and, and the goal. I mean, I guess you already really mentioned the goal about liquidity, but let's kind of dig a little bit deeper. Yeah, I'll give kind of the, the classic example. So in a previous company, uh, we worked on these community currency pilots. A community currency is basically a a complementary or an alternative or a parallel currency to whatever is the existing currency that folks are using. So in parallel to the dollar or in parallel to the yen. And we ran a really now famous pilot um, called Hearts, where we issued a new currency called Hearts, and of course its logo was a heart, to a, a community of mothers. And eventually this expanded also to families, more broadly speaking. But the first users uh, really were moms um, in this specific community um, and and many of them. So our initial pilot group had 20,000 users in it. And what we did was kind of create an incentive structure with them, which was trying to create a, a healthy economy between these mothers. And so the moms would earn hearts just for joining the group, and then they would earn more for doing all these value-added actions within the community, such as 
offering a good or service uh, for sale to the other moms. Um, there was a list of some charitable activities they could do, like donate to a specific um, organization that was focused on early child care in that neighborhood occasional ephemeral type of opportunities like there's a holiday and we need more hands on deck at the daycare or at the school or at the supermarket or at the coffee shop and so moms could earn hearts for engaging with the community and then they could spend hearts within the community so essentially the hearts were like a budget for the moms to help each other to support each other Um, and there were a lot of interesting side effects like being able to easily recycle and reuse a lot of products um, that moms uh, go through in the household as their kids are growing up, for example, clothes that used to fit don't fit, toys that used to be fun are now boring, Um, books that have already been read are now replaced with new books. And so having this heart economy really gave the moms an easy channel um, in a trusted environment to both recycle their goods, earn hearts for doing those things, re-spend those hearts to get new things into their households, um, and then also kind of uh, make a living, if you will, by offering the kinds of services that they could only really offer locally. So a good example of this is, you know, you have a, a mother in the community who loves making birthday cakes, loves it, loves doing it, makes beautiful, delicious birthday cakes. She may not be in a position to start a birthday cake business. That is an exercise that has some additional overhead, requires upfront capital, requires some legal and accounting infrastructure, um, requires in certain places different types of um, approvals or permits, and, and, and also creating of a customer base. Within the hearts economy, she could, on any given day, provide a birthday cake for a mother in the community whose child was having a birthday party and who that mom maybe wasn't in a great position or didn't enjoy making birthday cakes in the same way. And through that, those uh, hearts that she would earn on a daily basis, be able to get for herself or her family some other item that she otherwise just wouldn't have had. Mm -hmm. And so it's really um, creating the kind of trust and infrastructure within groups to be more collaborative. And we have many of these pieces already. And we often got asked this question, uh, like, why don't those moms just use Craigslist? You know, there's, we already have Craigslist. And there's a few answers. One of them is that the currency that you use on Craigslist is dollars. Many of these moms didn't have any dollars to spare um, in order to buy or sell, buy specifically things from other folks. Um, So that's one. In this parallel currency pilot, you create new money. You create a new budget, at least on day one, for folks to begin the exercise of collaborating with each other and and then earning the future budget for their ongoing collaboration. The second thing is trust. Craigslist, as as we know, and other kind of sharing boards do suffer from kind of a lack of, of trust. And within this Hearts community specifically, you needed to be a mom that was known in this community to be who you say you are um, and to live where you say you live. And there's a a huge increased amount of trust um, between the members of this group. Um, And so for us, the interesting insight was that there's actually a lack of money. There's a a, a specific lack of money in specific hands. Not everyone lacks money, though many folks do, as as we know. Um, But the, the pilot really taught us that you could almost airdrop. Now, this is a term now that we're more familiar with, but you could 
airdrop onto a community a new budget in a new currency and kind of jumpstart economic collaboration within that group. So it all sounds great until here, and it really was, and the numbers were, were just wildly inspiring. In, in just a year of this activity between these 20,000 moms, and, and maybe 1,000 of them were actually monthly active mm-hmm. uh, within the marketplace, we saw $24 million worth of commerce um, emerge between these moms, only in hearts. Um, and that's $24 million that we could you know, ostensibly add to GDP, that we could say GDP is X plus these $24 million worth of commerce. Now, of course, we don't count GDP that way, but the the point is to say that there's probably much more economic potential between people under the surface than the existing monetary system is allowing us to effectively express. Um, And these sort of new currencies and new currency tools are allowing us to jumpstart new channels, new pathways, new economic opportunities uh, for people in in a variety of models. So the community, that kind of community currency um, is one great model. And and we got a lot of insights um, from that pilot. And there are other models such as online communities or the communities that develop between an artist and their fans. Um, So much value is created and exchanged there. So much uh, value is felt there by fans when they receive content that they love um, and and different examples. Um, And what we learned throughout those pilots is that the number one barrier to entry for a new currency like Hearts to really be sustainable and, and even grow Uh, is the lack of liquidity. Uh, Because the moment a member of the community, one of these mothers, for example, needs to make an economic transaction outside of the community, which of course happens every day, every hour, because nobody's kind of moving to heartland and living exclusively in hearts. It's definitely not on day one, but we, the hearts economy exists within the greater economy. And so if those hearts don't have a pathway into dollars or into yen or into shekels or into whatever is the national currency at hand, the experiment becomes very limited. Um, and the growth over time, we watched it again and again, it stagnates um, because that user experience essentially for a member of this community needing to constantly kind of choose whether they, they will sell a specific good or service or their time or energy for the new currency, the community currency, or for the traditional national currency, it's a very obvious choice, which is I'm always going to pick the national money if I can, because the national money is liquid. The national money I can sell for anything that I want outside the community, and I can also exchange it for other currencies if I need those, like in the example of traveling to Europe and now needing euros or, or some some other version of the, of the exchange paradigm. And so what we understood was that until new currencies had a natural pathway or connection point to old currencies or to other new currencies, both really, um, they would never stand a chance. You could never get the kind of network effect needed to really unleash the power of these new tools. Um, and that really led us uh, to developing the Bancor protocol and What's unique about the Bancorp protocol and kind of our backing into the solution is that it was now 2016 um, and the Ethereum platform was out and it really brought smart contracts to the table 
which um, for listeners, if, if you're unfamiliar, is basically a programming language for blockchain. It allows you to write software code and you know, a program that says, if this happens, then that happens. If you click here, then that. Um, if you put in this currency, you get that currency. Um, and these uh, smart contracts or this computer code can live on a blockchain and benefit from some of the things we know blockchain brings to the table, like immutability, transparency, and things like that. And so what we realized with smart contracts was that we had now a new frontier to try and program solutions to these problems into the new currencies themselves. And so that's when we developed the Bancorp protocol. And the Bancorp protocol is basically a standard that allows new currencies on the moment of their creation to be natively liquid to other currencies, essentially to have a native baked in exchange rate to other currencies that also use the Bancorp protocol. It's like a networking language, if you will. So if you make a new currency and you use the Bancorp protocol and other currencies are made and they use the Bancorp protocol, all of these currencies can essentially talk to each other. They can turn into each other. They know exactly how much a heart is worth in a star, for, for example, or how much a heart is worth in ether or how much ether is worth in hearts. And they know this in a very basic way, which is um, the Bancor formula, which constantly balances supply and demand between these currencies. Um, and so as more people want hearts, the price of hearts is going up. And if people stop wanting hearts and the community is kind of um, falling apart or losing its value, losing its interest, uh, losing the interest of its members, then the price of hearts will start declining vis-a-vis -vis the other currencies in the network. Mm -hmm. I see. No, it, it's a really interesting story how, you know, Bancor, I guess, was inspired just based on this whole thing with hearts. But help me understand how it's providing liquidity outside of the system. Yeah, absolutely. So the mechanism that the Bancor protocol uses, um, you can think of it like a staked inventory um, in a network. So when I create a new currency, let's call it uh, hearts, if I were to recreate hearts today, um, when I create that currency, I deposit a small amount of another currency, let's call it Ethereum, into the smart contract of hearts when I make the hearts. When I, a moment before I launch hearts to the world, I make that small deposit into the smart contract. That is what I mean by staked inventory. And the Bancorp protocol now uses its formula, its algorithm, to constantly balance hearts with that Ether deposit mm -hmm. that I baked into the smart contract. Mm -hmm. um, and in the case of a company or a tech company, that might be very easy. In the case of a new community that's emerging, maybe that deposit is crowdfunded among the members of the community. Maybe it's subsidized by an NGO or by an aid organization. But the mechanism itself the standard is that when new currencies are created, they are linked to all the other currencies that use this method by depositing a small balance, we call this the reserve, um, into the currency's smart contract. Mm -hmm. And that reserve is the one that is constantly used by the smart contract to calibrate the price of the currency. Mm -hmm. If there's a little reserve, if the reserve is shrinking, 
then the price of the currency is dropping. Mm -hmm. If the reserve is growing, the price of the currency is growing. Mm -hmm. And the mechanic there is that in order to buy this new currency, we call them smart tokens. In order to buy a smart token after they've been created, the method is depositing some of that other currency, that linked currency, Ether, in the example we just gave, into the smart contract itself. Um, and of course, for the user, this is a very simple process of buy or sell. But when you buy a smart token, you are effectively depositing your purchase into the reserve mm -hmm. in order to get the token. And when you sell a smart token, you are essentially giving it back and withdrawing from that reserve balance. Mm -hmm. And so the Bancor formula is constantly calibrating, are more people buying this currency by depositing into that balance or are more people selling this currency by pulling out of that reserve balance? Mm -hmm. And so again, when currencies are in demand, their price is going up. When currencies are not in demand, their price is going down, but always according to this very flat, very open, very transparent, and very immutable, cannot be changed because it's on a blockchain, decentralized, according to that formula. Mm -hmm. I see. And this really replaces what we know of today as the order book uh, or the bid-ask model. The way, as, as we've known until now, that currencies are bought and sold, or any asset like stocks or commodities, is that uh, we have these markets whether it's the stock market um, or commodities markets or crypto exchanges, we have these marketplaces which gather buyers and sellers of all these assets, which they choose to list in the case of centralized um, markets. And the bids and asks of buyers and sellers clear in the order book and, and facilitate the swapping, right, of the person who wants to buy and the person who wants to sell. Mm -hmm. That's today how we do all asset exchange in the world. Bancor invented the Bancor protocol in order to move us to this asynchronous model where we don't need to match buyers and sellers. The smart contract is constantly the buyer or the seller and it's matching itself uh, to, the, to the user in a very programmatic way. And there's some beautiful benefits, we believe, of this mechanic. The first is that that um, smart contract it doesn't need to be paid. So there's no fee, and Bancor takes no fees uh, for this service. And in marketplaces, as we know, whether they're crypto exchanges or the stock market, there is a fee that is constantly being paid by buyers and sellers in order to match and clear those transactions. In a smart contract world, we don't need to pay those rents to those middlemen. The system can manage itself in a way that's much more efficient, and so it's also much more affordable for users. So that's one um, really exciting benefit. Another one is that the smart contract is very, very hard, let's say nearly impossible to manipulate. In all of these markets, whether they're crypto exchanges or stock markets, we suffer from a tremendous amount of uh, manipulation, which comes in a few formats. We In crypto, we hear about pumps and, pump and dumps, we hear about uh, wash trading and spoof trading. In regular markets, we hear about price collusion, right? There's so many flaws with having the method for asset exchange be matching buyers and sellers in these marketplaces, not to mention you know, the listing fees. If you're a new cryptocurrency and you wanna be listed on any of the centralized exchanges, 
the fee that you're going to have to pay, and of course this changes all the time, um, is quite substantial. It's certainly not appropriate for the moms in the heart marketplace um, to pay those millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars to be listed. And so we remain with that with that model and that method, the old method, we remain in this classic paradigm where only the biggest can succeed. Only the largest currencies like Bitcoin and Ether can achieve liquidity because only they have enough volume of trade to be profitable to exchanges, which are for-profit businesses, which are the only method for exchanging these assets. In the Bancor protocol methodology, any asset can effectively list itself for free um, into the system. And there are no fees needed to facilitate those conversions. And so what you get is a much more accessible, open and fair liquidity infrastructure that's not by default geared towards the rich or towards the large. Um, The asynchronous model for exchange means that even a currency like hearts, which might only have five or 10 transactions between hearts and other currencies a day or a week or a month, and that's fine. In the Bancor protocol method, the price just continuously moves up with every transaction, with every buy, and continuously moves down with every sell, regardless of volume, regardless of you know how many days go by with no activity mm-hmm. on the currency. And what we really wanted to do when we tried to separate volume from liquidity is to allow new currencies like hearts, which we saw working so powerfully for people in communities to be viable and to be viral and to grow and thrive and succeed and not suffer from these barriers to entry, which are really a relic of an old system that we can now kind of program our way out of. Right. I mean, it it all makes sense. And it's very, very interesting. And I love that it developed out of this hearts concept. I mean, it's, it's like heartwarming actually. It's it's a wonderful story, but recently in the news, um, it was stated that Bancor has, I guess, cut off their U S user base, or I mean, cut off for lack of a better term, but what, you know, what happened there? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so it's it's definitely been an interesting week on a number, a number of levels and worth noting that it's been an interesting couple of years um, on a number of levels in, in our industry and also in the greater kind of geo, you know, geopolitical, geofinancial um, space. But to your question, this week, um, we unfortunately um, limited use of Bancor Network's web app. Uh, to US, U.S.-based IPs. Um, and this was a completely precautionary uh, move on our part uh, due to the continuing uncertainty of regulation in the United States. It's, uh, it's interesting to note that we're in kind of a, a transition time between the technologies that we're talking about being you know, widely un- unheard of, widely unknown, certainly widely misunderstood um, or, or not yet well enough understood, and hopefully going towards a time where the technologies are more understood, both their opportunities and their challenges, and we get to clear and consistent um, models by which entrepreneurs and innovators and, and business leaders um, and users uh, know kind of how to, how to best utilize these new technologies. Right. So, I mean, hopefully as time goes on and people start learning how to utilize these new technologies, 
um, eventually that U.S. user base will be able to come back and use the platform then. I'm absolutely, yeah. absolutely. We, we really look forward to that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, it's such an interesting week as well with Facebook's announcement about the Libra currency um, because... You know the the issue is is coming to the table, um, and and maybe it's been slow going until now because the um, projects have been small or the entrepreneurs have been unknown or the products haven't been delivered yet to really make the the clear case for how these tools and technologies will be used. But now we enter the next chapter. Now we enter a new era. Everyone knows Facebook. Everyone knows Mark Zuckerberg. Everyone can go on the website and very clearly understand what is the, um, per, you know, the stated value proposition of the Libra currency and of the Calibra wallet. And now I think that the, you know, you you can't ignore this conversation. Um, and not not that we think it was being ignored before, but certainly um, a move like this, which is so, um, you know, so potentially widespread in terms of the installed user base. Two billion people use Facebook products um, globally per day, um, and so we're we're very excited about the announcement on a number of levels. Um, specifically to your question, I think that it's going to do a lot for everyone to move us forward um, in creating the clear and consistent frameworks that we need. And, and these processes um, are never that quick, and they're certainly not easy. And they're not easy for a reason because there are very intricate and nuanced and significant trade-offs um, to, to the variety of pathways that, that one could take. And there are also very many unknowns, um, you know, both in terms of the technology's evolution um, and also in terms of how any of these pathways play out. And so it's, you know, our hats go off to the folks who, who spend their days and their nights um, thinking about how to do this. And um, we often uh, hope that we can be, you know, a positive force in that uh, conversation. We do a lot of market education um, and a lot of explanatory work around, you know, the problems that uh, we're trying to solve. Um, and we we really look forward to this progress. I think that that everyone, um, to you know, depending on where they sit, should be excited about the forward momentum that the industry in general now has. Right. Definitely. I mean, I think. And this is what I'm hearing from a lot of the thought leaders in the space, like Justin Sun, yourself, um, Stephen Becker, the president and COO of uh, MakerDAO. Everyone is excited because it's going to drive mass adoption, but there's still obviously some concerns. And I think now we're seeing that, you know, now in the news, you're seeing like the U.S. and regulations and, you know, wanting to halt, like the Congress wanting to halt, halt this. And it's a learning experience, like it's great because it's going to drive mass adoption for sure. But of course it's going to happen over time. And like Facebook just released their white paper and it's a learning experience. And I think that there's going to be some hurdles that are going to have to be overcome before, um, you know, Libra token actually takes off. But I think that's with every, everything in this space, just like Bancor, just like, you know, all of these platforms, there's always hurdles and changes need to be made. So we'll just have to see what happens. Absolutely. And I think that the larger players 
have, you know, as with anything, have such an opportunity and also such a responsibility. Um, on the one hand, you can um, make moves that really cause the entire industry to take note, the entire regulatory environment to take note. Um, and on the other hand, you also have a lot of um, infrastructure that you need to very um, carefully manage um, these processes, something that maybe a small, young, unheard of startup can be less uh, less cautionary about or less uh, rigorous about. And so it's certainly a, a really interesting phase. And, and for me personally, the Facebook currency is such a game changer um, in terms of where we are in this evolution. I mentioned that I kind of look at things like this grand and continuous transition that we're going through. And with Facebook, uh, making a currency or announcing that they will make a currency. And, and like you said, we'll see how it actually unfolds. But I think the conversation is now so open to, oh, well, what's a currency? Oh, well, who can make a currency? Oh, I thought, you know, I thought the, the government makes currencies. Wait, I thought that um, Bitcoin was the one currency. Wait, I thought, and I think that that conversation, which now will reach, you know, not just the crypto community, not just the financial media, not just the tech early adopters, but really people, billions of people, um, I think is just, it's it's so exciting um, because, you know, if the government can make a currency and if Facebook can make a currency, then maybe you can make a currency and maybe I can make a currency. And that's really the world that Bancor is so excited about, which is allowing people to truly use the power of currency to unlock the thing that currency is supposed to help us do, which is live and thrive and collaborate. That is why we have currency. That's why we invented money in the first place. Um, and money is now going through such a major evolution. Like you can think of it like an upgrade. Um, and of course, with every upgrade, there are bugs. You know, when, when Apple upgrades the iPhone, it's both a, the greatest thing ever and also a little bit of a headache for a while. Um, and I think that we can look at this uh, evolution in a similar way. So there's certainly going to be a lot of bugs um, along the path, but we're certainly getting an upgrade. Um, so that's one really interesting uh, thing about Facebook. Of course, you know, the, the greater sort of societal narratives that we all hear a lot about maybe, um, but, you know, what is the right balance of state supported or state regulated, let's say public services and um, privately governed enterprise? What is the, where is the right line between the market and the home or the market and the community or the market and the state? Um, these are real questions. And that's why I say we, we take our hats off to the folks who, who deal with this rigorously every day, um, because that's the that's the era that we're in. You know, in, in a previous era, um, you could look at standard railroad and say, you know, what was the regulatory kind of um, process that we went through to decide whether Standard, Standard Railroad was a monopoly, whether this private enterprise was ultimately a positive service for the people or, or something that needed to be changed or dealt with. In the more recent times, you can think of the discourse with AT&T or our telecoms, you know, or um, our, our early kind of communications infrastructure. And now we get to this era and really the, the discussion is around our tech platforms, our Ubers and our Amazons and our Facebooks and our Googles. Um, and I think with Facebook's very bold, um, by the way, and, and inspiring move um, into this field, the, the conversation is more alive than ever. 
what is the the line um, that that we believe should be should be taken between private enterprise and, and public service? Should everything be privatized? Should everything go to the market? Should all of our media be for profit? These are the questions, and 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 in different jurisdictions, we'll see these questions play out in different ways. And this is really an, kind of another, and maybe my I'll make it my last point about what's interesting to me about the Facebook currency. In the previous examples I mentioned, uh, the railroads, I mentioned AT&T, we were talking about very domestic companies, very domestic products, and very domestic conversations around the regulatory environment. With a product like Facebook or a company like Facebook, and I could say the same for Google and for Amazon and and for, for many of the other tech platforms, these are truly global products with global user bases. And the jurisdictional conversation or the regulatory conversation is very different across all of these jurisdictions. And so that's both a challenge for, let's say, a company like Facebook. How do you, you know, comply with global, you know, a huge diversity of global standards? And it's also a huge opportunity because in order to uh, present an effective kind of regulation of a product like this, all of those jurisdictions are going to need to collaborate. They're actually going to need to be unified, whether that's, you know, uh, the the European Central Bank and the United States Fed or whether that's um, the consumer protection agencies um, in Africa and in uh, North America. Um, they're actually going to need to be aligned in order for a, an effective framework to be built. And we all know that's a hard thing to do. Um, it's hard for us to get alignment on climate. It's hard for us to get alignment on sanctions or money laundering or AML or KYC or any of these kind of, you know, previously domestic issues, which are now truly global issues. And so it's definitely getting more and more interesting by the day. Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm interested to see how this will play out. But I mean, like you said, it's inspiring. More people are starting to know about cryptocurrency and blockchain because of this because of Facebook and because whatever, you know, everything that's going on. So it's very inspiring and you're very inspiring as well. So I'm really (laughs) glad you could join me on um, the Crypto Chick podcast. And um, if our listeners want to follow you, where, where should they go to do that? Um, so I'm mostly engaged through Bancor's channels. Okay. Um, so following Bancor on Twitter, we're at Bancor, B-A-N-C-O-R. Um, and we're Bancor on Facebook and Instagram and, and all the channels. But I, I think Twitter is where a lot of the lively conversation takes place. Um, also, our blog is is a great resource. We, we blog every month. Um, we share now quarterly updates up until 2018, monthly updates since the launch of the, of the network. Um, and we share a lot there about how how we see some of these kind of greater moves, like the march towards automated market makers that I mentioned, which is kind of moving from a bid-ask model and a human arbitrated um, exchange model to a smart contract operated model. Um, We talk a lot about the trade-offs of decentralization and and what we consider the spectrum of decentralization. And we say it's a journey and not a destination. And it's, again, part of this kind of transitional process that we're going through. So our blog, which is blog.bancor.network, is a great resource as well. Cool. Wonderful. So check that out. And Galia, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been great having you. Yeah, thank you so much as well. Thanks. Thanks so much for joining us today. You can find further information in the show notes to learn more about Galia Ben Artsy and Bancor. 
And if you enjoyed listening to this episode of the Crypto Chick Podcast, please be sure to subscribe to the show. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Also, if you have time, please leave me a review. I enjoy hearing your feedback. You can also reach out to me on Twitter at RachelWolf00, on LinkedIn, or on Instagram at Blockchain and Bikinis. Thanks for listening. See you next time.